let's get to the word of God. Proverbs chapter 4, starting in verse 20. I will read the verse 27. Follow along with me. I'll give everybody a second. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all, your, all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vi- vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Let's pray. Father, we know that your light, your word is a light onto our feet. We know, God, that you're guarding us and you're watching over us, Father God. And your number one way of watching over us is that you give us the right way to walk. And you've given us your Holy Spirit to work it out, to live it out, and to enjoy this wonderful Christian life, Father God. We thank you, Father God, that the word of God gives us a foretaste of what's going to come, Father God. But it also warns us of what the future could hold. So help us, Father God, understand the text that Solomon teaches his children in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guard your heart. Has anybody ever done something they wish they could do it over? (laughs) Have you ever done something you wish you have never done? Do you ever, in hindsight, look and say, you know something, it would have been a lot better off if I had never. Anybody ever say that? Yes. Okay. Well, moving forward, let's have a life that we have less and less and less remorse and less and less and less regrets because God has enlightened us into the right way and to make right choices so we don't have to look back and say, man, I wish I'd never done that. I wish I'd never suffered under those consequences. And that's what the Word of God is here for. Proverbs, to be sure, is about inner integrity between the person and God. It's all about, Proverbs is all about integrity. Let's make that right. Living for God when no one's looking, doing the right thing, no matter what someone says about you or thinks about you or maybe no one can see, understand something. It's making the right choice when there's no one else around. That's the goal. That's the aim. It's to impart this kind of wisdom that brings integrity. The fear of the Lord, we all know, is what? It's the beginning of wisdom. This is what the father is teaching his child here. Know the goal for life as God created it. Very goal-oriented society we live in. But we usually have our own goals. And then we try to fulfill those goals because we think within the fulfillment of those goals we will find personal, personal happiness. Personal fulfillment personal satisfaction and and there's there's a little truth to that but we have to learn that we have to find the goal of life that God created us for and he didn't create you for one goal and me for one goal and you for one there's all one goal that's to glorify God in everything we do whether we're a doctor a teacher a mother father pastor policeman fireman construction worker unemployment you fill in the blanks of who you are We need to live for the glory of God. And when we do, listen, when the sole motive of our life is to live in integrity for the Lord, to bring glory to God, you will always know success. Success is not based on something acquired, something obtained. Success is being faithful to God in all situations. So even if life throws you a curveball into the world that looks like a failure, but if you walk through that hardship with integrity and worship of God, you are successful. And you know it in your heart. You can rest your head on the pillow at night, be totally content because you're faithful to God. Live for the glory of God. And when you do, you will always be successful, happy, content. You'll have hope. And others will recognize this moral reputation, this kindness, this goodness, that you are zealous for good deeds, and no matter what's going on in our life, 
as though God himself prepared these good works even before eternity. People recognize our good works. Do you know that? People can recognize something different about the Christian when you're living out the Christian life and you're going through life's difficulties, you're going through life's challenges, and you're doing it in such a way that the world has to recognize there's something different about it. They might not say, oh, he's a Christian. She's a, most likely they won't. But they have to recognize there's something different. There's a certain joy that comes with walking with the Lord. The great goal of Proverbs was godliness. Don't miss it. It's godliness. And that is what Christ has given us. Please don't miss this. Jesus lived the book of Proverbs. Jesus lived our text. Jesus is the only one that ever guarded his heart perfectly and fully in the fear of the Lord. Don't ever forget that. Jesus is the only one that has done it perfectly. Thank you. He's the only one. He's the only one that generally knows what the fear of the Lord was. And this is what the Holy Spirit produces in our life. He produces in our life this holy fear of God, this godliness that Jesus had when he lived his earthly life. I'm going to give you a piece of theology now. Please don't miss it. This is biblical revelation, and we need to know it. When God is working in our hearts to change us, amen? He's changing us, the Bible says, into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So what we start to experience is a decision-making life that's based on what, how Christ did it. Christ based all his decisions on life based on Old Testament law. That's how he lived it. He didn't, like, he didn't walk around saying, well, I'm God, and I'm going to do it my way. He says, I've emptied myself of being God. I am a man, and I'm going to live the way God told Moses to tell the children of Israel to live. That's how Christ lived. He did it perfectly. And so when all of a sudden we start to change from the inside out by the Holy Spirit and the truth, that's what we're living. We're tasting the sweetness of how Jesus lived in obedience to God. That's what we taste. When you make those hard choices for the Lord and no one's around and you're just feeling good about it because you know you are, that's how Jesus lived his whole life. Perfectly to the law of God. So my concern is that one of my concerns when it comes to preaching any kind of moral text from the Old Testament, and you all have to notice, if you're anywhere and someone says, turn to the Old Testament, your ears have to perk up. Because the Old Testament, when it's trying to teach us how to live, cannot speak above the cross. I don't live, and you don't live like an Old Testament Jew under the law of Moses. We live as New Testament Christians being freed from the law by Christ. I'll explain as I go along. So your ears always have to perk up. Because every time you go into the Old Testament to speak a moral message, it has to point to Jesus Christ and what he has done. It's not about pull yourself up by the bootstraps and try harder. Not about that. But it does serve a big purpose, and I'll get into that. So my concern is that Proverbs or any Old Testament exhortation does not shut down or speak over the grace of God and regeneration of what it means to be born again. We are new creations and we're not led by the law. We're led by the Spirit of God that produces love in our heart for God, for His people, for His Word, for His creation, and everything else. It produces a love in us. Whatever God loves, as born-again believers, we begin to love that very thing. Are you with me? Probably the quintessential New Testament scripture to this effect is Titus. Titus says in Titus 2.11, if we don't mind, take a moment. I want you to read this. Now remember, don't even look up there. I'm going to challenge you. Don't look up there. I'm teaching you biblical theology. We're in the Old Testament. We're talking about guarding our heart. We're going to look at these moral exhortations in the Old Testament. We're going to learn from that. But it's fulfilled not by just reading the Old Testament and trying. Whatever you do, don't try. Trust that this is what God is doing in you. The Holy Spirit is producing in you 
Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 to 27. It's the Holy Spirit's job. Now listen. Listen to Paul. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. That's salvation. That's Christ. Also, this very grace, he says, is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It's the Holy Spirit that's doing it. Why, what? We're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now listen. Grace and motivation are in our hearts already. God puts it in there. The Holy Spirit is applying New Testament truth that we learn every week in our Bible studies, in Christian service on Sunday, in our, in, in our men's group, in our women's group, in our prayer meetings, in your personal devotions at home when you read the Bible. The Holy Spirit is producing that truth in our life. Do you ever find yourself obeying God? Honestly, please say yes. Nod your head a little bit. Okay. you ever find yourself doing something that you normally would have not done if you were not a Christian. Yeah. You actually you doing some like loving other people who are unlovable. It's not always a moral question. Helping people that normally you would have walked by and not give the time of day. You know, things like that. Understand that's because God lives in us now. That's why. It's not because you're trying harder. Jesus did all the heavy lifting and he applies it to our life and then we live it out. We find this sort of and he's the sail in our wings, whatever that song is. Whatever. The wind in our, the wind in our, whatever. You, you understand. The Holy Spirit is doing it. But understand something. This is God working within us. And all of a sudden, you don't find this nail biting. I gotta change, Pastor. I gotta change. It's killing me. It's, I'm like, listen, young man. Are you living for God? Are you learning to love God? Then understand something. It will come into your life. If you're in some kind of nail-biting Christian experience, you're missing what Christianity is all about. Show up, love God, pray to Him in your weakness and say, God, I'll just continue. I believe you're going to change me from the inside out. It's all by faith. You did not get saved because you tried hard. Did you try to get saved? Did you accept the gift? Yes. Being changed is a gift. Stop trying so hard. Just recognize, take an evaluation. God, I'm weak in these areas. Please help me. And God's going to tell you, I'll help you. And then in a month, you're going to go back again and say, God, I'm weak in these same areas. And God's going to say, don't worry, I forgive you, try again. Then one day God's going to tell you, go tell the pastor. Go tell the elder. Have people pray with you. Confess it. Let people be part of the change. Are you with me? Yeah. That's the way it works. And it stops the trying. And all of a sudden, things really begin to change. But the Word of God does teach us how to please God in a sinful world. It's this pleasing God that protects our heart in our lives. When you please God today, listen to me. You are securing your tomorrow. When you are living for the Lord today, when your sole ambition is to live for God today, I know people that are living, they're in this room. I know the guys, people, the girls and the, the guys that are living for the Lord and pleasing the Lord today, I can tell you where they're going to be in five years. I can tell you where they're going to be in 20 years. They will be pleasing the Lord. And they're not going to have all the crazy consequences that come by trying to live in a world without God. All the regrets and all the remorse and all I wish. They're not going to have that. When you please God today, you can rest assured you'll be in a good place next year. You'll be in a good place five years now. People that aren't doing that, I'm concerned. I'll get the phone call. I'm in trouble again. I'm in this again. It's inevitable that woes are going to come upon us when we don't live for the Lord. Okay. But the Old Testament Word of God is timeless and gives us great insight into the daily life for a 21st century believer as we're led by the Spirit 
the book of Proverbs, along with the whole Old Testament, all these moral exhortations, and that's what we have here. It's a moral exhortation to live right. Okay? It's a beautiful thing. I'm going to take it verse by verse, and then I'll give a little application. Let's go to verse 20. Okay? My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. What we have here is teaching from the greater to the lesser. The father is teaching the son. The father is passing on to his child, to his children, to his family, his moral character. I often say this when I teach out of the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, first and foremost, is for parenting. Because it always comes with the exhortation, my son, my child. So we always think we always instantly apply it to ourselves. But I challenge parents all the time. If you're going to tell your child, listen to my teaching and bind it around your neck and hide it in your heart, you better be living it. The last thing you want to do is hear what Jesus said to the Pharisees. Do what they say, but don't do what they do, because they don't practice what they preach. So I, I, I want to challenge everyone who's a grandparent, a parent, a, a mentor of any type, understand something. We need to pass on moral judgments. We need to pass on moral character and moral fortitude. The parent here has himself lived under the law of God to the best of his ability, trusting in God, and now he's passing this on. In this case, it happens to be Solomon. Just as the child bore the generic characteristic of mommy and daddy, spiritually and morally, we should have the same quality. And that's what the parent is doing here. Parenting in the Old Testament especially in the synagogue years before Christ came and before the temple and that kind of stuff. The mother did most of it. Here it sounds like the father. The father did it, but the father was working all the time. Parenting and education was left up solely to the mother. The parents has the future of this child in view. Christian parenting just doesn't throw our children out Onto the culture. Christians and the Jews before us, and still to this day, it's their priority, it's their purpose to shape the the moral future of their children. Not to drop them off at church and anticipate. But if a parent doesn't want to come to church and they drop their children off, praise God. We'll teach them to the best of our ability. If the parent is a no-show parent when it comes to moral teaching and moral education and is just leaving the children to the culture, it's not good. And if we have a chance to come along a child that's not being parented spiritually, we should do the job. If God drops somebody in your life to mentor and you don't know and you realize all of a sudden this person finds me, you know, is, is some kind of affinity towards me, some kind of attraction, I'm going to see that that's a gift from God. God's doing something here. And we ought to come around that person and encourage them in the ways of God, encourage them in the Bible, encourage them in the church, encourage them that God loves them. That's our job, and God will do that. Prayerfully, even after I said this, what? Keep your eyes open. God might be pe- bringing people into your life. In a spiritual sense, this is what a pastor does to new converts. Every time I come here, please understand something. Me and John are fully aware that we're accountable to God for our ministry totally accountable. You are God's people. You don't belong to sonship. You belong to God. And we take this very serious. You're God's people. But when I come up here to speak, what I'm saying is basically my son, my daughter, God's son, God's daughter, be attentive to God's word. Incline your ear to God's saying. I'm just expounding on the text, but please understand something. God's speaking to you. God's speaking to you today. There is something in this text that we go through, you need to hear it. I need to hear it. There's nothing you're going to hear today say, oh, that doesn't apply to my life. I'm already perfected. <laughs> yeah, right. We are not perfected, praise yeah. God. Listen to verse 21. So what we have here, we have this moral exhortation. The parent is talking to the children. They got their moral uh, future at hand over here. 
there's going to be some warnings over here. He says this in verse 21. These teachings, let them not escape from your sight. Keep these teachings within your heart. Moral teaching is to be memorized by constant reminder and constant reading. In the Old Testament, they would write it on their sleeves. They would write it on the frontals. They would write it on the doorpost. They, they have it everywhere. On their sandals, underneath their gowns, everywhere they went. They, the word of God was there. And, and, and it was literal, but the point was, is that we really be immersed in God's word. That we be immersed in it. That's not good enough. I've known many people who can quote the Bible back and forth. But please understand something. They had no idea how to live for God. Had no idea. You see, you have to internalize it by the constant obedience until you own it. I share this experience and this, this analogy anyway from karate. You know, when you're learning karate, when you're learning boxing, any kind of self-defense, you have to do something 10, 20, 30,000 times over and over and over under pressure before you own that. You don't go to a class and you learn to punch and then you go out there. As soon as the pressure comes and you're exhausted and you're hurt and there's three people, you're running for your life. Same thing spiritually and morally. You can memorize it all you want, but one day by practicing it and doing it, you own it. And in the midst of great trials and temptations that the world would crumble or you or I would crumble, guess what? You can just walk away. It's not some nail-biting experience. Like, oh, the temptation. Oh, I'm over. No. You can get up. You can brush yourself up and say, no, I'm not living like that. I'm a child of God. I own that truth. I know that's wrong. I'm not going in that direction. But everybody else, I don't care. I used to do that, but no more. There's a great story about the great Augustine, who was a whoremonger under his own testimony. And uh, his mother was a praying godly woman, and eventually this man came to salvation in a miraculous way. And as he was walking down the street through the marketplace, there was a prostitute and saying, Augustine, Augustine. And he kept walking. He goes, no, Augustine, it's me. He goes, yeah, but it's no longer me anymore. (laughs) That's how it works. So one day we can be walking down the marketplace of our life and whatever the the old voice is, you can say, no, that's not who I am anymore. I'm not Augustine anymore. I'm not that man. I'm not that woman anymore. As they're memorizing it, and they're internalizing it, and they're owning it by this constant doing of it, they are to trust, and this is important when it comes to parenting, you'll understand about the fifth commandment. They are to trust the parents that what they say is best for them. Isn't that a novel idea? Isn't that it nice to know the government's taking place in the parenting today? They'll, they'll tell us all what's right. But listen to me. They are the trusted parents, godly religious parents, what's best for them. And that is the beginning, and we got some parents here, that's the beginning of personal faith in God being activated. Do you know how? Because a child is obeying, or I should say, out of sheer obedience and trust and respect for their parents, the child knows intuitively that the parents have their best interest at heart. And that's eventually preparing themselves to put give a life of faith in Christ one day. And to live by faith. That's why it says in the fifth commandment, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land and Lord your God has given you. You see, the child that respects the parents has a better chance of living by faith one day. Because they know it works. They follow their parents. The parents, godly parents, who grew up with God on their lips, who grew up with God in the, in the house. Understand something. They didn't leave me wrong. So when it's time for them to come to Christ on their own, guess what? The transition is a lot easier. They've been doing it all their life. 
So when you see parenting that really takes discipline serious, that's good parenting. A parent that really speaks in this tone and really gets a child to obey and to know and goes the hard extra mile to make sure that the child has grown up strong. Understand something. That's more than just saving their future. That's pointing them to Christ. So we too as Christians are to trust God's word even when it doesn't feel good or it's not comfortable. We also need to learn how to trust leadership when leadership and parenting and pastoring. I'm shocked how many people go through things and they tell me after the fact. It would have been good to sit down with me prior to that decision making process because it probably would have saved you a lot of harm. That's why I'm here. That's why John's here. That's why leadership is here. Because we see things about life through the word of God and through experience that a lot of Christians will not see, just like a parent. When we were 16, when we were 16, you could not tell me anything. I laughed at my mother one day when she tried to tell me a, a life story analogy. I said, you've got to be kidding me. I know everything, Mom. I know everything. I've been arrested three times by the time I was 16. I know everything. Two car crashes, but I know everything. What are you going to tell me? But as Christians, we can do the same thing. For many young converts living for Christ, it's a brand new way of life, and it almost feels like we're children again. You know why? Because you are. You can be 60 years old, you can come to the Lord and understand something. You have to relearn how to live life. Chances are most people that are in their 50s and 60s actually learn a little quicker because they've been down that road before. I've been humbled by age. Age is good. It humbles us. It restrains our flesh. You know, we say, well, I could have done that 30 years ago, but now I can't do it anymore. So, praise God. All right, let's go to verse 22. I don't want to get off the... the we're guarding our heart on this. Remember this. Talking about the commandments is the Father's teachings. That he, it's, it's really Moses' teaching. It's the, it's the teachings of Moses that are being regurgitated by the parents because they've lived it out and now they're encouraging how to live and make right decisions. Are you with me? Okay. For they, these teachings are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. You see, this is positive reinforcement is being applied here. Reminding the child of the long-lasting effects of these teachings that are in one's life and one's family. They are life, it says. They are life. I don't want you to miss the word of God here. Another way to express this. Let me give you another way to express it. I want to read it, then give you another way. It says this. For they are life to those who find them. These biblical teachings and these biblical principles from Moses are life to them who find them and healing to all their flesh. Listen. I'm going to give you another way. There is no such thing as life without them. Because it's not life's God's way. So if you're not doing it God's way, you can live a hundred years and be the richest human being in the world. But guess what? You have not lived life. Until you live it God's way. But sooner or later, they'll lead to death. For there are other ways that seem right to men. But in the end, guess what? They lead to death. Whether the Old Testament saint who builds his house on Moses or the New Testament saint who builds his house on Christ and his teachings, the storms which is coming will test all men's purity, all men's integrity. And for many it's going to be too late. For they are life. These teachings are life. There's no such thing as real living without the teachings of Christ. I love when I speak to people that disagree with Christianity. I love them. Because you know what it is? They're coming to a gunfight with a, with a plastic sword. Like you're going to scare me with a rubber knife. You're coming at me with nothing. You're building your house on, on sand. It's, it's a house of cards. 
I had a man telling me, no, Brian, you know, he was very courteous, very charitable, he disagreed with me so much, and I said, you've got two girls at home. You're raising your children without God. I said, are you going to take that philosophy that you're living by and apply it to your children? I said, they're not going to make it. Dumbfounded, didn't say a word. He told me how at the age of, I think they were at 9 or 10 or 12 at that time, they never allowed anyone to babysit for the girls. Because they didn't trust anybody. They were, he told me, I'm protecting my girls. One day he came by, I said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm taking my girls to a concert. I said, that's nice. Who are you going to see? Madonna. Oh, beautiful. Do you see the irony? Taking your girls to see a Madonna show. She's running around half naked doing all sorts of inappropriate things and, and gyrations and everything else. But to he, he, he was well-meaning. But here's the thing. Without the word of God, you cannot protect a child from the culture. You, you don't have the backbone to do it. Because everybody wants, everybody's doing it in our class, Daddy. Everybody's going. So what are you going to say to the two eyes? You know, he didn't have the way to say, but God's way is better. God's way of life is better. And then to sit there and educate them and to give them an objective lesson in morality and what's proper, he couldn't do that. Though he protected them physically, he could not protect them morally. The culture seeps it. Do you see the do you see the connection? That's why we take the word of God and we hide it in our heart and we teach it from there. So we can protect our future. Listen to verse 23. Key verse, most people know it. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of light, life. The heart in, 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 in biblical writing and for the Jew was the seat of, of life. It was the seat of all their desires, of all their emotions, all their affections, the will, the mind, the conscience. It was the soul of the person. And this is where life was generated. This is where you want to experience life. You got these feelings. You want, you want to experience life at its best. God has put something in us and we we got this desire to enjoy life. That's a good thing. God created you with that. But unfortunately, sin came into the world, so now we gotta protect it. So keep your heart with all its desires. Keep a vigilance over all your desires that are pure and they're innocent as you're young. But we live in a bad world, child. And you got to protect your heart. Because everything out there is not good anymore. And there's a lot of bad ways you can go. And we also have sin in our own hearts. So we got to be extra careful over here. Because we can suffer under our own self-inflicted wounds and consequences. And not even know it. We have to be careful. It's not always the bad people in the world and the bad culture. we got to watch what's in our own heart. It's not always good. We desire things we shouldn't touch. This was seen in the Old Testament as the most important aspect of life. It's the inner personality. It's that faculty in us that determines the course of one's life. Remember how I started off? Are there things we wish we've never done? Are there regrets and remorses that we just wish, you know, if I could do that one over from when I was 16 or 20 or whatever it might be, you know, life would be a lot better. Isn't it great to be forgiven? Yes. And have a fresh start with God. There are some consequences I can't get over. You know what I mean? But guess what? I'm forgiven. And I've learned. Because God's on my life. Now I can learn from these things. And I can help other people. But Jesus sums it up neatly. Where a man's treasure is, there is his... You see, men love... What men love, men go after. We've got to be careful of the desires in our heart. Some of them are good. Some of them aren't so great. To miss it here at the beginning of life's journey for a child is to embark, as the scriptures teach us, on the wrong direction. Many a parent have seen a child go in the wrong direction. It's a painful thing. You know who saw their child going in the wrong direction? David. David. Someone in the New Testament. It was a father 
had a large estate, had a lot of money. And the prodigal son, the prodigal son said basically, Dad, I want the inheritance, but you're still alive. So in the interim, because I want the inheritance more than I want you, that's what he said, that's the implication. And the father said, I'll give you the inheritance. Don't don't wait for me to die, because you're going to fall so low, I'll be here for you when you come back. So he gives him the inheritance. And you know the rest of the story. He went on in the wrong direction. But praise God, he was waiting for him when he came back. And that's who we are. This is not us against them. It's us, us, us. We're all prodigal sons. And guess who was there when we came back? The father was there. But we're now we're Christians and we're living a Christian life and I want to continue to make mistakes. I want the, the word of God to be in my heart. I want to watch my heart with all diligence. I got to be watch, watchful over my life, uh, wild heart at times. I got to be watchful over the world that says, and Satan that says that these temptations are good. It looks good. It, you know, all that glitters is not gold. Remember that, amen? So I need the wisdom of the word of God to, to distinguish the right way from the wrong way. We don't want to miss it here, especially in the beginning of our, our spiritual life. We want to embark on the right direction. And this is where a child needs to God. This is where a newborn Christian needs to God. The Christian needs to God their hearts with all diligence. We cannot let even a good desire, we cannot let a good ambition take over. We have to be careful because something can start off good and be corrupted. It can become lustful. We got to be very careful. We can say, "Yeah, I just want a better job. I just, I just want a little upward mobility in my life. I just, I just want a, a taste of a little success." And, but all of a sudden, it tastes good. Success tastes good. Money tastes good. And there's nothing wrong with success. And there's nothing wrong with money. But if I'm not guarding my heart with all diligence, it's gonna be wrong because it becomes a god in itself. And so true is this. This is what Paul said. That many, for the love of money, have shipwrecked their faith. Guess what? They did not guard their heart with, I just want the church to grow. Oh God, I just, I want to pour my heart out into more people. I want to, I want to shape people's lives. I love your people, God. I love your word. Success in ministry has ruined some people. A price comes with it. We've got to be careful, even of the good things. It's best to say what Proverbs 31 says. Lord, don't give me too much that I would forget about you. And don't give me too little that I would have to steal and profane your name. Lord, give me my portion and I'm fine. Just give me my portion, God, and I'll live happily ever after. If it's minimum wage and for some reason after prayer and school and trying and trying, I never get past it, then God, so be it. It's not the government. It's not them. It's, it's, it's providence over my life. I've prayed. I've been faithful. But if this is where you have me, God, I'll continue to try. And, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to get upset. This is my portion. Do you have that in you? Can your prayer life rise above the American dream? Can you pray according to God's will? Because God's will might be saying, that's just enough. That's just enough. Mm. Pastors have to come down. Me and John, we don't want, we want to see the church grow. Because we love people. You are not looking at two insecure pastors. I can tell you that right now. We are not insecure at all. We do not find our, our, our life in ministry. We don't find... Our, our, our value and how many people we minister. You know what you say when the first thing? Everybody. Nine out of ten. Where do you go? I pastor a church. How many people? <laughs> Always. Always. Because people rate success by what? By numbers. By numbers. Not how faithful. I, they didn't ask me, are you faithful to the gospel? <laughs> are you faithful to Christ? Are you preaching the truth? Are you not talking about sin because nobody's going to come? Are you trying to add to the church by subtracting from the gospel? People do that, you know. Go to a large church. Go there for a couple of times. Go there. You see how good the messages are. 
See if the message is challenging the integrity of the parishioner to be faithful in all circumstances. So we have to guard our heart. What are you crying out for? What is it in your life right now if you had it? Oh, how good it would be. Maybe lose 30 pounds. Maybe gain a little muscle. Maybe What is it? I'm not saying it's bad. But I'm saying this. It could be. It could be. This is a challenge in prayer. You ready? Do you have the guts to even think about praying this prayer? You ready? Think about that one or two things that are right there. That God's bringing it to your attention. Can you say this? God, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Do you have the guts to say that? That's Christianity. That's a prayer life. That's obedience. I can rest assure you, if you have that and I have that, God has something so much better for us. You can rest assured that Christ is quite happy that the will of God was to suffer and die for our sins and bring many sons and daughters to glory. You can rest assured. Christ is not regretting one thing. He's not saying, I wish there was another way. I wish it was easier. I wish it was an easier, softer way. He's not. He's quite satisfied to die in our place and bring us to his home. Let me close. Verse 24. Solomon now uses three metaphors to help distinguish what it is to protect the heart. All right? There's three metaphors. I'll go through them fast. There's speech, there's the eyes, and the feet. Very familiar in the whole Bible, very familiar in the book of Proverbs. These metaphors are always there, and it's to point us in these directions. Listen, he says in verse 24, Put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. Truth is the bedrock of society, it's the bedrock of friendship, it's the bedrock of marriages, it's the bedrock of the family, of business, of religion, and it needs to characterize every human being, especially the child of God. Lying and crooked speech is nowhere to build a life on. At all, God is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Anything else in this, Jesus says, is of the evil one. To be upright and truthful and not have to change things around. Because if you change it around, it sounds a little... When you are trying to make it sound a little... You are not trusting God at all. Thy will be done doesn't exist anymore. Because you want and I want my will to be done. And that's why God gives us wives, he gives us husbands, he gives us pastors, and gives us all these built-in accountabilities that say, you're lying. And you're like, but I, I am lying. You know, you know something? I am lying. You're absolutely right. I'm at it again. I'm at it again. You caught me again. It's better just to say you're absolutely right. God, forgive me. Let me get on with your will. Are you with me? Yes. Let all crooked speech be put away. Let all devious talk be far from you. It is no way to secure a future. You'll never see a politician laying their head. A generalization. Going to the grave saying, praise God, unless they're born again. Man, all the lies, all the deceit. And politicians have nothing... The man that preaches Christ with lying lips is the worst human being ever to envy. They're going to stand before Christ and he's going to take him apart inch by inch. No, word by word. They will have to relive every lie they ever said in the name of God. Think about it. Awful. They'll have to relive it. And see the pain and the agony it caused. But that's not the worst part. Lying says, I want the glory, not God. 
I'll manipulate it. I want my will to be done. I want my name to be stamped on it. Lies don't point to God. Lies point to self and the father of lies, Satan. Truth. Son, if you want to have a good future in life, speak the truth in love at all times. Understand something about lying. We live in a world of lies. But in the ancient world, your family's existence rested on your reputation. A good name is to be envious above all things, the book of Proverbs says. If daddy's a liar, the community excommunicates you, basically. Wants nothing to do with you, and guess who suffers now? Your family suffers. But today, you just lie, you go to the next place, you lie. Everybody's lying, nobody knows who's telling the truth anymore. You can lie and seemingly get away with it. But in the ancient time, no, 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 no. Truth was your credentials. I made one resume in my life. You're looking at a man who's never had to really make a resume. But I went on my own one day, and my friend says, I'll make your resume. Vice president in, in some big company, he, he does this for a living. So I gave him a couple of things in my life. When it came back, I was like, I'd hire this guy. Who is this guy? <laughs> that's me. <laughs> but that's what a resume does. That's what social media does. You can make it sound like this... You know, like your God Himself. In the ancient times, you were as good as your last broken promise. You were as good as your last promise kept. When you when you when you handshake on something, you were signing your life away. Son, watch out! No devious talk comes out. Otherwise, you'll never make a living. Now we live in a world today that you can lie your way to success. But God sees it all and can take it all away. I can go on and on. You know, I thought I was going to be over 10 minutes ago. You don't mind if I preach to you? Do you know I came in here with the worst eyes? I, I was seeing double vision before, out of nowhere. It was horrible. And, uh, you know, with these migraines, I get that. But the boys prayed for me in the back, and I stepped into this pulpit. I was absolutely miserable. I should preach more often. I feel better. Do you know that? <laughs> Lying is violence against the truth. It's not the opposite of truth. It's not truth and... It's not two different things. They're not like two different polar... Lying is an assault on God. I'll leave it to that. I'll leave it to your conscience. I'll leave it to my conscience. Don't lie. Tell the truth. Okay, guard your heart, because your heart wants to lie. Your heart wants to be successful. Your heart wants to get what it wants, when it wants it. And it will lie to get it. Watch your heart. He goes in verse 25, let your eyes look directly forward and gaze be straight before you. It is easy to understand this verse if we look at it from another famous one. You ready? Psalm 73, I didn't put it up there, forgive me. Listen to Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Let your eyes look directly. Don't be looking to the left or right. Don't be looking to how everybody else is doing. Don't be keeping up with the Joneses. They lied their ways to success. Be careful where you're looking over here. Everything that glitters is not gold. Keep your eyes directly on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will uplift you. He will make you prosperous in His time, in His way. First with the intangibles of integrity, of self-control, of joy, of love, of peace and contentment and fidelity to his word and faithfulness to his people. He'll make you successful in that. And guess what? That's where life is found. And in the interim, he might bless you in other ways too, materialistically. 
Don't be looking at the envious. Don't be looking at the ivory. Don't be looking at the prosperity of the wicked. It will take you down. It will take me down. Understand something? It has taken down better men and women than you and me. Verse 25. Oh, verse 26. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. I love these metaphors. The word of God is so good. It really is. It gets right underneath the skin. We wisely have to evaluate our daily actions. We need to keep an eye on our heart. We need to keep an, a, a, a lid on the motives and the agendas of our life. We have to be careful of what's driving us at all times. Our thoughts and our words are always directing us. We have to be careful of that inner desire to be prosperous or to be somebody or make something of ourselves. We have to be careful at all times. It is greater is the man that can control his own spirit, Proverbs says. He's greater than the man that can take a whole city. Self-evaluation. I'm going to close with that. Self-evaluation. I'll close with the next one. Verse 27. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Swerve carries a hint of deliberate stretching. Do not swerve. This is the person that knows there could be something wrong. This is the gray area. And I'm going to go for it. I'm going to swerve out of the way of what knowing that's right. And somehow I'll justify it. That's what I'll do. I'll justify it. I know I'm breaking my conscience, but I'll justify it. These are strong metaphors, and guess what? A metaphor is called to shock the system. You know what one of the strongest metaphors that shocks the system in all the Bible? Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin... If your hand causes you to sin, the point is we need to take life serious, not sin. Talking to somebody who goes, yeah, you got to take sin serious. I said, well, you can look at it that way. I look at life. Take life serious. Take life God's way serious. And when you do, we'll take our heart serious. We'll take the, all the impulses of our heart serious. We'll take this world serious. We'll take sin serious. Take God serious. Take life. Father, thank you. Forgive me for carrying on, oh Lord. I ask you to bless the saints, God. Thank you that I feel better. You're so good to us, God. And uh, just bless all the dads here. Come out and hear the word of God. And I just pray for Frank and Christina over there as they raise a beer, God. Bless them, Father God, as they teach their child how to prosper in the future, God. Morally protect the beer from all the evil that's out there, God. There's a, a hedge of protection for all the moms and dads that are not here. Uh, Lou and Liz, Father God, and the Hansons and others, God. I just ask you to protect Christina and uh, Franklin, God. I pray that they just rock solid Bible believing parenting in the house. Rock solid Bible believing parenting in the house, and their children will be blessed in Jesus' name.